watching us through live stream, good morning. I hope that uh, you have a good day today, and I pray that uh, today will truly be a blessing. Remember that this is the Lord's Day. We are supposed to dedicate and consecrate this day unto the Lord. So once again, uh, as you're watching right now, have a worshipful heart, and please pay attention to the sermon as well as the announcements that I am about to make. All our services are suspended until April 19, Lord willing, if there will no longer be a community quarantine. So again, this is still fluid. Uh, we still cannot say what will happen in the next few days or weeks, but the plan is uh, to continue our worship service on April 19, again, Lord willing. So. For the meantime, we enjoin you to watch the live stream coverage of our service every Sunday at 9 o'clock in the morning. Kindly visit our Facebook page. It is Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International Incorporated. Also check out our website, www.livingword.ph for other updates and announcements. Our sermon can also be heard over DYFR 98.7 FM every Saturday and Sunday at 8 o'clock in the evening. Also, I'd like to announce that my next book, More Than Enough, is scheduled for release this coming April. We are pre-selling at 300 pesos only up to April 4. After April 4, the regular retail price will apply, which is 350 pesos. The book is timely because it is about learning how to conquer trials and sufferings in Christ. And I believe that this is probably the greatest trial that this country has ever faced right now. So I thank God for the timing of this book. By the way, two years ago, we gave 1,200 copies of Enough is Enough to pastors, and we want to do the same with More Than Enough. We want to put it in the hands of as many pastors as possible because we, we know that this is something that they greatly need. I'm thankful for those who have responded so far to sponsor some of the pastors. Now, if you'd like to order this book, kindly text 0931037-6944. Again, 0931037-6944. Also, we have a new Gospel Center discipleship material entitled Knowing Christ. It is available for only 150 pesos. Kindly text your orders once again uh, with the same number that I just gave you a while ago. Now, here's an announcement for those of you who are enrolled in International Bible Institute. Due, the, due to the current COVID-19 crisis, IBI classes in the main church are suspended until further notice. Students are requested to email their assignments to ibi.livingwordcm at yahoo.com. We can email you the PowerPoint slides for the remaining lessons in LC302, The Life of Christ, Lessons 8 to 10, and also Old Testament 102, The Early Israelite History, Lesson 8 provided you submit all your assignments. So once again, Life of Christ, Lessons 8 to 10, Early Israelite History, Lesson 8. Now please check 
our IBI Facebook page for updates and announcements. FB page is International Bible Institute Cebu Extension. On March 28, I'm calling the congregation online to go on prayer and fasting. I think now more than ever is a defining moment for the church. And I believe that this is also a time wherein we need to be serious about the situation in our country. What we are going through is definitely not a joke. It is a very serious predicament that we are in. And so I'd like to call everybody on March 28 from 9 to 12 to prayer and fasting at your own homes. We will be doing this with our families at home. Also, again, a reminder, all our 2020 events are canceled due to the COVID-19 crisis. Also, our multi-purpose hall and function rooms are closed until further notice. Also, please do not forget, we are going to have, or we actually started an interactive midweek table talk every Wednesday live at 2 p.m. with myself, Pastor AJ, and Pastor DJ. So again, we hope that you could join us this coming Wednesday once again at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. By the way, we're going to pin uh, this uh, video on our Facebook page. We will pin it at the top so that just in case you miss it, you can still watch it later on in the evening or all throughout the week. Also, we'd like to remind you about our giving channels. Remember that the church needs your resources at this particular time for the work of God to continue on. And so you can deposit your love offerings to the following banks, Banco de Oro, account name, LWCCCII, and account number is 0010006080800. Then we have uh, a Bank of the Philippine Islands. The account name is Living Word Christian Ministries Cebu Incorporated. Account number is 10210234814. Also, RCBC. Account name is LWCCCII, and then account number is 1452005286. You may also send your love offerings and donation online through our website. Go to www.livingword.ph and click the word give, or you can also visit our admin office. Mondays to Fridays, 9 o'clock in the morning to 5 p.m. So now we're now ready to go to God's Word at this time. I invite uh, to those who are at home to please rise from your seats, and we will come before the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you, O God. We know that you are sovereign, and we know that you are in control. There are many questions in our minds, even doubts as well. But Lord, we know that you are a good God. And therefore, the purposes that you've laid out are good. We are trusting, O oh Lord, that this crisis that we are facing will cause a lot of people to cling to you and to fix their eyes on you. 
We pray, O God, that many souls will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray that we believers in Christ will be proactive in sharing the gospel. Lord, at this particular juncture, many people are dying already all over the world and even here in the Philippines. Even doctors, Lord, are getting sick. And so we pray, O Lord, that in your goodness and grace, may you cause people to turn to you, seek your face, repent of their sins, and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for the church, Lord, all the churches, all those who truly name the name of Jesus Christ. We pray for your sanctification. We pray for your purification. We pray for revival. We pray, O oh God, that there might be a deeper repentance and deeper conviction upon your church. We pray, O oh Lord, that many shall find their way back to you. I pray for the backsliders, that they might return to you, O oh God, that they might seek your face. I pray, Lord, for those who are watching us right now over live stream. I pray, O oh God, that you will minister to them in a very special way. Lord, I entrust myself to the Holy Spirit. I pray for courage. I pray for boldness. I pray, Father God, that you might empower me, give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen and amen. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Coronavirus Go Away. Really? At this time of the COVID-19 crisis, I've decided to temporarily break off from our Sermon on the Mount. It's been a very fruitful series for us. But then again, I feel that I need to be able to address the situation right now in our own country. We have an impending crisis that is actually threatening not only institutions, but it is also threatening our lives as well. And so because of this, I feel that I need to be able to preach in regard to what is happening right now so that I could address the fears, the doubts, the questions in the minds of people. I pray that the messages that will be preached from this time on will provide comfort, encouragement, as well as instruction, maybe even rebuke as well. I pray that God's grace might be upon us at this time. Now, when we decided to cancel our services beginning uh, last Sunday, there were a few people who actually criticized this move. And they were saying that to cancel the services was actually a lack of faith on our part. I'd like to be able to debunk that, dear brothers and sisters. Our desire, basically, was the safety and the health of our members. At the same time, we wanted to submit ourselves to governing authorities because there were directives that were made already that we should stop mass gatherings in the hope that we could mitigate the spread of this particular virus. And so our desire is to be part of the solution, not part of the problem of this country. Unfortunately, there are some people who have become 
quite naive and very simplistic when it comes to their faith, and they think it is as simple as simply attending church and praying over others when they are sick. I'd like to be able to say that when we decided upon canceling our services, definitely there was no lack of faith on our part, and definitely there was no lack of wisdom. Again, we need to be able to pay attention to what the medical authorities are saying. Mass gatherings have the dangerous potential of spreading the virus not only by the hundreds, but by the thousands. And listen well, in a matter of days, not just in a matter of weeks or months, but in a matter of days, it can actually explode. Just think about this. One person who is infected could have possibly infected 100 other people. Now try to multiply that 100 by another 100. So it becomes exponential growth, which could actually threaten the health of so many people, not only those who are elderly, not only those who are children, by the way, because the World Health Organization actually issued a statement that even young people are threatened by this particular virus. So don't be overconfident. There are some people in different parts of the world who think they're young and they're not going to be affected by this disease, and that is why they have become very complacent. They have continued to meet each other. They have continued to have reunions and, and family gatherings. They've been eating in restaurants, not realizing that they're not only putting at risk the lives of the elderly and the young people, they are putting their lives at risk as well. So friends, I'd like us to take our social responsibility and duty seriously. Likewise, when we canceled our services, we saw this as a move to apply the commandment which says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. I think we can draw words of wisdom from Martin Luther during the bubonic plague or the Black Death plague. This happened, of course, in Wittenberg, in Germany, and this is what Martin Luther wrote. I'd like you to pay attention to what he said. I shall ask God mercifully that he protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help, and purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to be contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, He will surely find me, and I have done what He has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. 
Some, however, have been quite presumptuous about their own faith, thinking that it is as easy as laying hands on the sick. Some people are suggesting that if there is somebody with coronavirus, all we need to simply do is lay our hands on these sick people and we can be assured that they will get well. However, as I mentioned a while ago, this is really naive and rather simplistic in the thinking of some people. And may I suggest and may I submit to you, there is something wrong with your theology. One of the things that I would like to bring right now is that we should not be presumptuous with our faith and we should not test God Himself. In fact, if we take a look at the example of Scripture, even the Lord Jesus Christ did not test God the Father. And I'd like to be able to cite to you that particular uh, verse of Scripture as we move on later on. By the way, before I have a look at this verse of Scripture, I'd like to make mention of the fact that I am a continuationist. Now, let me define to you what a continuationist is. A continuationist believes that miracles and healing are still for today. So if you're asking me the question, do I still believe in healing? Do I still believe in miracles? I do believe in miracles up to today. I believe that God can still heal people today. So for me, healing is not an issue. It is not a question. I am not doubting the fact that God is our healer. He is our healer, as the Bible says, both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. Now, having said that, even though I am a continuationist, I am not presumptuous, and neither was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me show to you a verse of Scripture when Jesus was tempted by Satan to test the power of God. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 5, this is what it says. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, Satan says, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now take note of this, dear brothers and sisters. Satan was actually quoting from the Bible. Satan was quoting from Scripture. And that is why we would be fools to think that Satan does not know the Bible. Satan knows the Bible. But one of the ways wherein Satan handles the Bible is he twists the meaning of the Bible. He takes it and removes it out of its proper context. And that's why, friends, we need to be very careful because the truth of the matter is that we can take a verse of Scripture out of its settings and out of its context, and the meaning will be altered. We come up with a wrong interpretation. I've long said that anybody can actually prove anything from the Bible. Even the atheist himself can prove something from the Bible itself because the Bible says that there is no God. Did you know that? That is what the book of Psalms says, there is no God. 
However, if you take a look at the entire context, what does it say? It says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So notice, if you understand the entire context, then you get the proper meaning. So once again, in this particular passage of Scripture, what do we see? Satan quoting the Bible, but he took it out of its context. Now, what did Jesus say? How did he respond to this quotation of an Old Testament Scripture? Jesus said to him, Jesus said to Satan, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, for those of you who are saying that the canceling of services is a lack of faith, I'd like to address you right now and say to you, you are terribly wrong. And what you are doing is that you are putting your members at risk. You are not being part of the solution to this country. You are not being submissive to our governing authorities. And you are responsible for spreading this virus all over this country. Do you not know that there are many people who will die? And there will be some people who will die because of your negligence, because of your irresponsibility, because of you removing a verse of Scripture out of its context. My dear brothers and sisters, most especially those of you who are pastors and preachers and teachers of God's Word, you are responsible to be diligent in the study of the Scriptures so that you do not take verses of Scripture out of its context and therefore give people a false assurance, a false hope. Do not do that, my dear brothers and sisters. I'm speaking to you in love. As a pastor and as a preacher, understand that people are hanging at every word that you are saying. And because they trust you, they will believe everything you have to say about the Bible. The problem is if you take it and remove it out of its context, what do you do? You give people false hope and a false assurance. And in the end, guess what is going to happen? What could possibly happen is that people will start blaming God. They will start saying to God, God, did you not promise in your word that you would do this? And friends, only to find out it is not God who made those promises. You pastor, you teacher, you preacher, you were the one who made those promises. Not the Bible, not God. But you have fooled people. Maybe not intentionally. So herein right now, I'd like you to come to repentance. Ask God for forgiveness for the many people who have been deceived because you have not studied the Word of God enough to be able to deliver it accurately to people. How many preachers have said that if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to suffer? Well, guess what? This is the reality that you and I are now faced with. You don't call this suffering? So what do you call this? Friends, that's the problem. When you try to simply give feel-good sermons to people, 
When you always give feel-good sermons to people, you do not prepare them. You do not prepare them for situations like this. You do not prepare them for suffering. You do not prepare them for trials, for, from storms and difficulties in life. But that is part of the reality menu. So right now, what is happening to your people? What is happening to your members? They're losing faith. They're losing hope. Why? Because all you preached about was feel-good sermons. Now, let me ask you this question. Does it now feel good for you right now? Aren't you cowering in fear? Aren't there doubts in your mind? Aren't there worries in your mind? Now, I would be a fool to say I, I, I am not afraid. Sure, I am afraid. But I know exactly what the Bible says. I know exactly that the Bible says, Jesus Christ himself said, in this world, you shall have many tribulations. That is what God said. Why do we remove those verses of Scripture? Why do we select verses of Scripture for our own end? And in the end, who suffers the most? Maybe not you, pastor. Maybe not you, preacher. But your members suffer. I recall what happened to two young Korean ladies who are very zealous and very passionate for their faith. And one time there was a flood that was taking place in, in Korea at that particular time. The flood that actually overflowed all the way to the bridge. And so it was simply impassable already. But guess what? These two young Korean ladies, because they were taught that they had authority over everything, guess what they did? Well, they said, no problem even if there is a flood. And so they continued to walk on in spite of the floods. Guess what happened? These two young ladies drowned. Now, who's responsible for that? Who taught them that they had authority over all things such that they could actually pass through a flood and they would not be harmed? Pastor, you are responsible. You, you better study the Bible and study the Word of God because a lot of people are being fooled. And so today, I want to be able to address these issues by sharing to you my thoughts on the following. And I'd like to show it on the screen right now. These are the four points I'd like to be able to share to you. First of all, I'd like to share credible testimonies of healing backed up by medical documentation. And I think it's very important that when you talk about testimonies of healing, back it up with, with medical documentation. Because there is no way of knowing whether these things are true or they have the veracity of, of truthfulness. And so it needs to be backed up by medical documentation. Second is, should we expect supernatural healing all the time? Number three what does James have to say about healing? And finally, is God opposed to medicine? So, 
Listen up, brothers and sisters, because this is a very important subject matter. I think it's very important to be able to hear it. First of all, let's talk about credible testimonies of healing backed up by medical documentation. As I mentioned to you, I am a continuationist. I believe in healing. I believe that miracles are still for today. And there are many, many miracles. If we will just open our eyes, we will be able to see that God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'd like to be able to talk to my brothers and sisters who are cessationists. Now, what are cessationists? Cessationists are those who believe that miracles are not for today. Healing is not for today. At this particular juncture in the history of your own country, at this particular juncture in the history of your own province and city, wherein your own city and province is being threatened by this very deadly virus that has already, by the way, claimed 11,000 lives all over the world. Wouldn't you like to pray for healing? Wouldn't you like for miracles to take place right now? What if it is your own son who is sick? What if it is your own daughter who is sick? What if it is your own father or your own mother who is sick? What if it is your grandfather and grandmother who is sick? Wouldn't you like to pray for healing? Wouldn't you like for miracles to take place? Obviously, if you would be honest with yourself, you'd like God to perform a miracle. You'd like healing to take place. So are you saying with your theological stance that the hands of God are tied? Because according to your systematic theology, God cannot move in the way He used to move in the Old Testament. God cannot move in the way He used to move in the book of Acts. God cannot move in the way He used to move in the book of in the Gospels. God is not able to move as we have seen in the book of Revelation. Are you saying the arms of God cannot do anything at this particular time? Are you saying that the only thing that God can use, the only tool that God can use at this particular time is His providential dealings? Is that what your theology is saying? I hope you check your scriptures once again. Because there is nothing in the Bible that actually definitively, decisively states that miracles and healing is no longer for today. I challenge you to read your scriptures once again. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, you will find out that that kind of a, a theological stance wherein you believe that with the, the entry of the canon of scripture, miracles have already ceased. Again, I do not have the time to be able to debate and argue that particular uh, statement. But then again, I would like to be able to say that is standing on very shaky ground. It's not a very good theological stance. But as I mentioned to you, that's not my purpose today. So I don't want to be able to belabor this particular point. So I'd like to be able to share to you some credible testimonies of healing which have been backed up by medical documentation. First testimony I'd like to share to you is the testimony 
of Brother Ed Landry, who was a missionary in the Philippines, if I'm not mistaken, for about 17 years. The problem was he discovered that he had cancer. Let me just relate to you what he shared to me in an email. And by the way, this testimony I will be sharing as well in my next book, More Than Enough. So let me just read to you the email that he shared to me. He goes, It was 2001 when I received the news that many people fear hearing one day, two months to live. It was discovered that the fatigue I was experiencing was a form of acute leukemia. At that moment in our lives, my wife and I had been missionaries in the Philippines for 17 years. We, like others, had faced various trials living in a foreign country. But this was by far the biggest one. My reaction to the news that day surprised the doctors and others in the room with me. I was peaceful and calm. The God we had followed and trusted over the years was there, overshadowing me with an amazing peace. If the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is that they go to heaven, how bad can that be, he said. What followed next was an amazing six-and-one-half-month journey in the hospital that brought me to the point of death five times. The peace remained through it all. It was painful but joyful. When my children were sick over the years, my wife and I would hug and hold them. God is a greater parent than we are, and He sure knows how to comfort and hug His kids. I used to tell doctors and nurses that death must be the greatest trip of all, and that is why God saved it until last. Our hospital room was bright and cheerful. We told funny stories to the staff each day and even held contests with prizes for the doctors. It was a time of immense joy and caused several doctors and nurses, even one Muslim, to come at night just to talk about Jesus. What should have been the worst of times became the best of times. I sent out an email to our supporters, and here is what I wrote then and still believe today. Personally, he says, I still cannot believe how I am doing. I should be a basket case, but I am absolutely triumphant. I was dying, and yet I said, triumphant. It was a God thing then. It is still today. Now, even though Dr. Landry was eager to enter eternity, God was gracious enough to heal him. He went back to the field serving God with his all. Years later, here's what he found out once again. Dr. Landry was hit with another terminal disease. This time, it was kidney cancer. First, leukemia. Second, kidney cancer. Once again, he responded triumphantly. He was genuinely excited to see what God would accomplish in this second terminal disease. He had another amazing time in the hospital. 
He took advantage once more of the opportunity to share the gospel to nurses and doctors. You know what? God then displayed another miracle in his life and healed him. Now he lives to testify of God's comforting embrace in the midst of pain and God's healing touch on two terminal diseases. Guess what he said? He is looking forward for this third terminal disease and how God might once again use his suffering for his glory. What a wonderful, beautiful testimony of healing. One other testimony I'd like to share to you comes close to home. This was the story of my own father-in-law, the famous composer of Dahil Sayo. His name is Miguel Velarde Jr. Some people call him Mang Mike. His songs became popular not only nationally but even internationally. In fact, his song, uh, Dahil Sayo, had an English version sung by some international artists. Dial Sayo, or Because of Me in English, was actually sung by Nat King Cole uh, herself, and not only Nat King Cole, but also uh, the Letterman. And so he became quite famous. His story was actually a fairy tale because he achieved one success to another success. And so he was blessed later on only to find out that he had skin cancer. So upon consultation with the doctor, the doctor said that he only had six months to live. Six months to live. And so some of the sisters were quite apprehensive about this. They could not believe that their father had skin cancer. And so my wife, together with uh, some of the sisters, actually uh, sent my father-in-law to the United States for a second opinion. Upon reaching the United States, however, the same, uh, the same thing was said. He only had six months to live. So the question is, what do you do? At that particular time, uh, my wife, together with her sisters and brothers, were already Christians, and so they decided to pray. One particular sister of my wife, her name is Toti, uh, decided to come before the Lord in prayer. And she was given the gift of faith by God that God would heal my father-in-law. So she went and prayed over my father-in-law. And lo and behold, he got healed. And not only did he get healed, he was given a tribute by celebrities and political luminaries at the Araneta, Araneta Coliseum, which was full-packed at that time. He was given a trophy at that particular juncture. And when he was given this particular trophy, he raised it up, up above, and he said, Dahil sayo, ako ay nabubuhay. Because of you, I live. Now, of course, many know that that song is actually a love song. But at that particular time, it took on a different meaning. Now, it was no longer a human love song. It was now a love song to God Himself. So do I believe in healing? Yes, I do. I have had so many experiences, supernatural experiences of healing, miracles taking place. 
even with my own son who was dying when he was five years old he had dengue the highest strain and doctors were saying he would not survive but God performed a miracle my wife herself had a near-death experience but again God restored her back to strength and to health and so do I believe in miracles yes I do I do believe that God can perform miracles and this is my hope and my prayer that some of those who will be sick as a result of COVID-19, some of those who will be sick as a result of the coronavirus, by God's grace, by God's mercy, they would be healed, they would be able to survive that particular virus. That is my prayer. And I think if you are a person with compassion, if you are a person who is merciful, and, and that is what the Lord Jesus Christ is, Sometimes we forget why Jesus healed the sick. Sometimes we forget why He performed miracles. Sometimes we think that, that Jesus only performed healing and miracles. Why? To prove that He was the Son of God, to prove that He was the Messiah, to prove that He was the Savior. And yes, that's true. He did perform those miracles. He did perform healing to prove that He is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Christ. That is true. I agree with you 100%. But have you also considered that in the Bible, that on the many occasions that He would heal the sick, the Bible declares that He did it out of compassion. So let's not put God in our own theological boxes. The reason why Jesus performed miracles at that time was not just to prove Himself. The reason why Jesus healed the sick was because He had great compassion, because He loved them, He cared for them, He saw their pain, He saw their hurts, He saw their suffering. And so God in His goodness performed miracles. Of course, friends, we are not to be simplistic and naive to think that God will always heal people. Sometimes God has higher purposes. And those higher purposes we need to submit ourselves to. For example, in the case of our own country, what could be the purpose of God in all this? Well, probably one of the things that God is trying to accomplish is His bringing judgment upon this world. But again, if we take a look at Scripture, the reason why God brings judgment to the world is to bring it to repentance so that people might realize that they have this illusion of control, that they do not really control their destiny, that they need to be accountable to God Himself, that they cannot just simply go on sinning and sinning against God. They need to be able to come to terms with God and this is the reason why God at times would bring judgment upon a country and upon certain people. And I hope and pray for those of you who are listening, if you understand this, open your spiritual eyes. Open your hearts before the Lord. Because God is speaking to us at this particular juncture. So yes, I do believe in miracles. I do believe in healing. But I also do believe that God has other purposes aside from physical healing. And those higher purposes, you and I need to submit to. Now, I'd like to go to my second point. And my second point is a question. Should we expect 
supernatural healing all the time. Again, should we expect supernatural healing all the time? I'd like to share my first point under this. First of all, I do not subscribe that physical healing is part of the atonement. Let me say it once again. I do not subscribe to the teaching that healing is part of the atonement. If healing were actually part of the atonement, you know what that would mean? It would mean that it is now your right as a genuine believer in Christ to claim your healing because it is part of the benefit of the atonement. Now, the big question is, can we rely on that? Is that truthful? Is it accurate to say that healing is part of the atonement? Again, I would like to say it is not part of the atonement. Now, some of you will argue with me, and you will probably present to me a verse of Scripture, which I would also like to point out at this particular time. And I believe that one of those verses of Scripture that you are probably thinking about is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Well, let me just say this before I go to 1 Peter 2, 24. Healing in this dispensation is not our right. So what is it? It is a grace, listen well, it is a grace that is granted to us by God if He wills to cure us of our malady. Once again, let me just repeat what I said. It is a grace that is granted to us by God if it is His will to cure us of this malady. Now, highlight the word grace. Now, what does grace mean? It means unmerited favor. It means undeserved favor. God will heal you not because you deserve it. God will heal you not because it is your right. God will heal you because He wants to show you grace. And that is why do not be arrogant and boastful before God. Do not continually claim healing and say, God, you have to heal me. God, you have to perform this, this, this miracle because this is my right. Friends, don't speak to God in that way. Don't speak in an arrogant, boastful way because that is not the right way to approach God. We are all undeserving sinners. We have been graced by God with His salvation. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we were good. It's not because we were cute. It's not because we've done anything in our lives to deserve the mercy of God. We are undeserving sinners. And therefore, an undeserving sinner who has been graced by God never approaches God with arrogance, never approaches God with boastfulness, but he approaches God with humility of heart with a bowed knee and a bowed heart. That's how he approaches God. So do not talk to God as if you are the king. You are not the king. Jesus is king. You are the slave. You are the bondservant of God. 
So when you talk to the king, talk to the king with reverence. Talk to the king with respect. Talk to the king by giving honor to whom honor is due. That's how we talk to God. We don't talk in an arrogant way. Some people declare, I'm a king's kid. And they start talking to God as if God is the slave. Friends, don't make that terrible mistake. And you know what? With this COVID crisis that is taking place right now, God is humbling you right now. If you are really what you call you are, if you really believe your theology, then why don't you go to the front lines right now? Why don't you go to the hospitals and, and start laying hands on these people who are sick? These people who have, who have the coronavirus, go out and, and try to heal them. Of course, you need to share the gospel to them, first of all. But then again, friends, you make a terrible mistake if you're relying on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Let me just read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says, And he himself bore our sins. Sins. In his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin. Sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Now, I know that there are a lot of pastors and preachers who actually use this particular passage of scripture, and so they claim healing. And so they lay hands on those who are sick and they say, By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Claim your healing right now. You're healed in Jesus' name. Even if you have symptoms, don't mind those symptoms. Even if you're feeling sick, don't confess it. Just confess your healing because God will heal you. Again, look at what this verse is saying. It's not talking about physical healing. My dear fellow pastors, my dear fellow preachers who are teaching this particular wrong doctrine, that healing is part of the atonement, listen well. Look at the context. It's not talking about physical healing. It's talking about spiritual healing. That is what it is talking about. That is why you find words like sins here in plural and the word sin here in singular. Again, this is not dealing with physical healing but spiritual healing. Likewise, if you follow the next verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, this will confirm what I am saying to you that it is actually dealing with the sin problem. Let me just read to you verse 25. It says, For you were continually straying like sheep. What does that mean? Straying like sheep. What is that talking about? That's not talking about the hospital bed. That's not talking about physical sickness, isn't it? When you talk about straying like sheep, what is that talking about? That's talking about people who are lost as a result of their own sin. 
People who are dead as a result of their own sin. That is what it is talking about. Then it says, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. You have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. What is that talking about? That is talking about repentance. So again, very clearly, we're not talking about physical healing here. We're talking about spiritual healing. Now here's the problem. My fellow pastors... Who are teaching this you are giving people a false assurance and that is why they are saying right now let's not cancel our services let's go to let's go to our churches because anyway if, if anybody gets sick all we need to do is lay hands on them and they will get healed they will get well we just say by the stripes of Jesus you are healed do you know what you're doing? You're giving them false hope. You're giving them a false assurance. So what if they don't get well? What if they don't get well? If, what if they don't get healed? You know what's going to happen? They will start blaming God. They will start saying, God, you said in your word, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Lord, why am I not healed? Why am I still sick? Why do I still have fever? Why do I still have a sore throat? Why do I still faint pain all over my body? Why? And then not only will they start blaming the Word of God, they will start blaming God. And they will say, God, you're a liar. You have not fulfilled your promise. Do you know that is what you are doing by giving people false assurances and false hopes? Open your eyes. I ask you, for the sake of your people, for the sake of your members who are relying on you and hanging on every word that you are saying, let me just tell you, your eloquence is not going to heal your people. Even if you put your words in gold settings or silver settings, no matter if you use prose and poetry trying to declare this particular theological stance, it's not going to heal your people. Now, some people will argue, but Pastor Mel, in my case, when I confessed by the stripes of Jesus, I got healed. So what do you say about that? Let me tell you this. You got healed not because of your bad theology. You got healed because it was the will of God to heal you. Your bad theology did not stop God from having compassion and mercy on you. But remember this. Stop focusing, stop relying on that verse of Scripture because it is not the right verse of Scripture to use for healing. There are other verses for healing, and I will show them to you later on, but don't use 1 Peter 2.24. It's the wrong verse to actually use. So, here's the question. It, it is, is it presumptuous to think that we can command God to heal us whenever we like? Yes. 
it is presumptuous for you to think that God can heal you anytime and every time you want to be healed. It is being presumptuous. We cannot claim in this age all the benefits of the gospel because some of those benefits of the gospel are not for here and now. Some of those benefits of the gospel are for then and there. It is for the next life. You can't claim it for here and now. So what do you claim right now? What do you ask right now? Grace. That's what we ask for now. We ask grace. So with this proper theological perspective, we can approach God with a humble heart. And that's how we should approach God. Never approach God with arrogance. Never approach God with boastfulness. Approach Him with humility of heart and say, Lord, Please heal me if it is your will. And if this will turn out for your own glory, Lord, heal me. We can ask God that. He is a merciful and compassionate God. But don't talk to God as if it is your right. Sometimes we're so concerned about rights. Let me just remind you, we're bond servants. We're slaves. Slaves have no rights. Slaves simply look at the hand of the master. We are all mendicants in the presence of God. And as mendicants in the presence of God, all we can do is beg for God's mercy and grace upon our lives. And so that is what needs to happen. The second point I'd like to bring up in the matter of healing is that this gift is a non-resident gift. This gift is a non-resident gift. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. No human being possesses the gift of healing as if he could will it to happen at any time. So hear me out. Listen well, brothers and sisters. There is no person who can actually claim to be a healer. There is no person who can actually claim to be a miracle worker. It is a non-resident gift. It does not reside in a particular person so that he could perform healing every time he wants healing to take place. It's a non-resident gift. And I believe that this is what the Scriptures seem to indicate to us when we have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Notice what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It says, to another, and this is talking about the charisma, the gift that God gives to believers in Christ. And one of the gifts it says here is to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts, plural, not singular, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. So I want you to observe that. It is not gift of healing, singular, but it is gifts of healing, which is plural. Now, why do I consider that as relevant and important? Because it somehow tells us that it is a non-resident gift. It does not reside with one person. A person has the gift of healing. He can dispense it anytime he wants to. No, these are gifts of healing. Meaning to say 
that God is the one who determines occasions of healing. Listen well. It is God who determines occasions of healing as He wills it. As He wills it. Not as you will it, but as He wills it. That is very important. So it is a gift that God could grant on several occasions as He wills it. Once again, what does this tell us? This indicates that it cannot be the personal and resident possession of any person to be able to claim that he or she personally possesses the gift of healing to dispense it at will. No person can claim that except God Himself. There is no other healer but only God Himself. He alone determines when He heals and when He wants to dispense it. So again, friends, for those of us who idolize certain people, that they are miracle workers, that they are healers, please understand that we're not supposed to idolize anybody. We're not supposed to think of anyone as somebody who can provide healing for us so that what happens is our hope is now transferred to that particular healer or that miracle worker. And what is the result of that? He gets the glory. Remember this, God does not want to share His glory. God's glory belongs to Him and to Him alone. Unfortunately, some of these so-called healers and miracle workers are claiming glory to themselves. You know, one of the things that needs to happen when a healing is performed, when a miracle takes place, you need to point people to Christ. We're all billboards and signboards pointing to Christ. Christ alone deserves the glory. What is the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit? The purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. So if you do claim that you have the Holy Spirit and that through the Holy Spirit you are performing miracles, signs, and wonders, who should get the glory? Again, what does the gospel say? The Holy Spirit has come to glorify Christ. The glory should go to Christ. Now third, what, what does James have to say about healing? Now if you want to talk about healing, don't use 1 Peter 2, 24, but rather use James chapter 5. That is, I think, the proper verse of Scripture to use. James 5, 14 to 16. So we're going to talk about what James says about healing. Here's what he says. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, if you take a look at the context here, it seems that there is a factor called sin here. There is a sin factor here. Now, I don't have the time to be able to deal with that particular point, but just understand that one of the underlying tones here is that possibly the sick person that is being talked about here may be in sin, and that's the reason for his sickness. 
Now, anyway, having said that, do we, do we uh, have any reason to apply this particular passage of Scripture? Allow me to share to you from well-known Bible, uh, Bible scholars, conservative evangelical Bible scholars of good repute to state their point. I'm talking about Craig L. Blomberg and Mariam J. Camel, and they state, listen well, some have argued that miracles and healings have ceased. We do not have the right to expect supernatural healings any longer, they say. But James, listen well, this is what the, these authors are saying, but James does not place any restrictions on how long or to whom his command applies. And inasmuch as miraculous healings have occurred throughout the Bible and church history for good and godly ends, we dare not, listen well, we dare not restrict such activity to any given time period. Once again, we dare not restrict such activity to any given time period. Now, this verse of Scripture is a breath of fresh air in the light of the COVID-19 virus crisis that we are now facing. It's a breath of fresh air. It gives us hope that it's not at all totally hopeless in our case. God could actually perform a miracle. He could actually avert this particular plague. He has the power to do that. And this is the reason, by the way, why I believe that many believers in Christ should be praying and seeking the face of the Lord. My wife actually initiated a prayer chain in our church, and some of our women are praying every single day. They're taking prayer slots, and they're praying to the Lord, interceding for, for the situation right now, praying for the health workers, praying for our city, praying for our province, praying for the world. And I think that is what you and I need to be able to do right now. Get down on your knees and seek the face of God at this particular time. This verse gives us hope that, that God could actually heal. He could provide the grace of healing. And this is what we can actually expect or hope for. Now, a few things to note, however, about this passage. The power is not in the oil. Now, the oil is a Jewish thing. It is not necessary for believers right now, all right? So the power is not in the oil nor in the prayer warrior, but in the Lord. Listen well. The power is in the Lord, all right? The power is in the Lord. Only the Lord has the sole prerogative and power to restore a body back to health. Only God, listen well, only God can heal. There is no healer aside from God. So take note of that. Again, it would be wrong for us to idolize people for healing. If God uses them for healing, it's God's power, not their own power. Remember that. Number two, another principle we find in the book of James is that the prayer is to be done in faith. James chapter 5, 15 verse A says, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one 
who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. The prayer in, offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, James used an unusual word for prayer in this particular verse. Once again, a very well-known Bible scholar, Douglas Moo, states this. The word UK connotes a strong, fervent wish or petition. But it is not the fervency or the frequency of the prayer that renders it effective. It is faith. It is faith. God answers prayers offered in faith, and He will bring restoration to an ailing body by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 states this, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Now, this is also something that James obviously concurs as he had already spoken of faith in James chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, which I would like to quote to you. It says, But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, once again, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Isn't it illogical? Listen well. Isn't it illogical for you to pray without faith? Some people pray but without faith. Let me just tell you, that kind of a faith is worthless and useless. God doesn't hear prayers of unbelief. God doesn't hear prayers of doubt. God only hears prayers of faith. The Bible is very clear. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Prayer in itself is connecting with God. It is trusting God. And if you're going to trust God, why don't you trust Him wholly and completely and fully? I mean, if you're going to trust somebody, what do you do? You put your whole weight upon that thing or that person. It's just like if you have a wall on this side. How do I prove that I actually trust this wall? By leaning on that wall, by putting my whole weight on that wall, I am really saying this wall can hold my weight. Now, that is what faith is all about. Now, Dan G. McCartney states that we need to fill our prayers with faith. Not because faith is some kind of magical power or psychic force that makes the prayer effective. Faith connects a person to God and characterizes a relationship with God. It is this relationship to the healing that God, that God, I'm sorry, it is this relationship to the healing God that secures answers to prayer. Now, am I espousing a hyper-faith theology? I am not espousing a hyper-faith theology. Listen, listen well. This is the balance. Let me state that faith is not something that we can personally manufacture. If it is something that you have manufactured, 
if it is a byproduct of your own human determination and will, listen well, that is not genuine biblical faith. Unfortunately, some people are doing that. And they say, just confess it. Confess that verse of Scripture. Confess it a hundred times. Confess it two hundred times. Keep on claiming it. Keep on confessing it. And when you do that, you'll get healed. You'll get a miracle. Well, not so. Because you manufactured that faith. It is your human faith. And I'm not talking about human faith in this particular case. Because as I mentioned to you, if it is a byproduct, of your own human determination, it is not biblical or genuine faith. Now, what is the faith that James is talking about here? Listen well. The faith that James is talking about here is a gracious gift that is given by the Holy Spirit. Once again, it is a gracious gift given by the Holy Spirit, not the product of your human determination, it is a gracious gift of the Holy Spirit. And He imparts it if He so desires to restore someone to health. Faith as a divine enablement is a principle that we can glean, once again, from 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Again, the Greek word that is used here for gift is charisma. It is a grace gift. It is given by God. It's not something that you manufacture. So let me just read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 8 and 9. It says, For to one is given, listen, given the word of wisdom who gives it through the Spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit who gives it the Holy Spirit. Now, listen well. And, and listen well. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. Did you see that? And to another, faith by the same Spirit. In other words, the faith that I am talking about here in the book of James and in the book of Hebrews, it is a faith that is given by God Himself. It is given by the Holy Spirit. It is not a product of your own human determination. It says here, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. That is the faith that I am talking about here. So I'm not hyper-faith. Now James states two results of a faith-infused prayer. It says, James 5:15a, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. James chapter 5, 15a. Let me quote once again a very credible uh, scholar, Douglas Moo, and this is what he states. Restore comes from the Greek word sozo, which usually refers in the New Testament to deliverance from spiritual death. In the present context, however, restore or save speaks about restoration to health, and this is the first result. The second one is that the Lord will raise him up, which speaks about restoration to strength. Raise up, or egero in the Greek, is used to describe the renewed physical vigor of those who have been healed. Thus, 
the picture is of the elders praying over the sick man in his bed and the Lord, the Lord intervening to raise him up from that bed. So let me continually highlight that it is the Lord who will raise him up. Let no man claim to be the source of healing. Only God, only God has the sole right to heal. Now, Bible scholars Craig Bloomberg and Mariam Camel note this. The promise of healing for the sick offers a much-needed corrective for those of us who have trouble praying boldly. For we fear or even assume that God will not do what we ask of Him. Instead, we ought to pray boldly, believing that He is a God of power and love and that He listens to the prayers of His people. A necessary caveat, however, requires us to remember that the Lord chooses how and when He heals. As Paul lays out clearly in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, and that complete healing never occurs in this life. All right? Remember this. We will die. We will all die. No matter how hard we pray for healing, if it's our time, it's our time. And that is why, friends, don't pray as if you will never die. In fact, every other time James uses the word save or sozo, it refers to spiritual salvation. Now, while this passage most likely refers to physical healing, we must remember that ultimately, listen well, God is interested in eternal spiritual life than temporal physical health. That's why I go back to 1 Peter 2.24. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Spiritual healing. There's some of you right now, I believe, you're in fear, you're scared. Some of you are probably even sick right now, and you're wondering, is this now my time? And friends, I know that God can heal you physically. God can perform His miracle, His power upon you. He can show you mercy. He can show you grace. But is it possible that what God wants to happen right now in your case is for you to come to repentance? By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed, talks about spiritual healing. And He can heal you spiritually of all your sins. He can, he can forgive you of your past, your present, and your future sins. And all you need to do is put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only He can save you. or Only He can heal you spiritually. And that's why turn to Him. Your good works will not save you. Your good works cannot save you. You know why? Because God requires perfection, and nobody's perfect. None of us are perfect. And because of that, God made the provision by loving us, by dying on the cross, by having Himself crucified. And the priceless blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse and wash you from your sins. And if you're listening to me right now, come before the Lord and say, God, please save me. Please save me, Lord. I know I cannot save myself. Your standard is perfection. But Lord, you died on the cross for me. You paid for my sins. And so, Lord, I, I turn to you right now. Have mercy on my soul. Forgive me of all my sins. And Lord, make me the kind of person you want me to be. I repent of all my sins. Lord, I know I cannot change myself by my power. And so my repentance means I surrender to you. I surrender myself to the Holy Spirit. 
Let Him change me. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if, if you pray that prayer, if you seek God with all your heart, if you seek Him earnestly, your name will be written in the book of life. You shall have eternal life. And even if you die, let me just say this. With the coronavirus that is spreading all over the world, what is your assurance that you will survive? But here's what I can assure you. I can assure you that if you sincerely, genuinely, earnestly seek God and seek His salvation through Jesus Christ, when you die, you will go to heaven. So it will be instant and sudden glory for you. And the Bible says in heaven, there is no more weeping, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. That is what I can assure you. I cannot assure you of physical healing. God can heal you, but I cannot assure you. What I can assure you, however, is that He can spiritually heal you of all your sins and transgressions. And I pray to God you will do that right now. Now, in ending, I'd like to answer the question, is God opposed to medicine? Is God opposed to medicine? I'd like to cite a verse of Scripture to you, which I think would lend light and illumination for us. Kindly turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5, verse 23 at this time. Here's what it says. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, here we find that Timothy had stomach and frequent ailments. And you know what? If, if 1 Peter chapter 2.24 were about physical healing, then why didn't Paul just simply lay hands or pray over Timothy and say, Timothy, don't worry. You may have stomach problems, but by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Paul could have done that, but he did not do that, did he? But rather, what did he do? He said, take a little wine, which was medicinal at that time, for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So here, what do you see? That God uses medicines. God uses doctors. And once again, let me address those, those preachers and teachers who say that when you go to doctors, when you go to uh, hospitals, when you drink medicine, it is a sign of lack of faith. Where did you get that? Where did you find that in the Bible? That when you go to a hospital, when you go and drink your medicine, when you see a doctor, that that is a lack of faith. You see here, Paul, are you saying that Paul lacked faith? Paul was a man of faith. He had performed so many miracles. And yet, in this particular case, he was trusting medicine. And that is why those of you who are presumptuous and, and going out and, and not minding government directives, saying, well, anyway, God is going to heal me, well, just be very careful. 
Because your presumption is not only putting your life at risk, you're putting your family at risk, you're putting your fellow brothers and sisters at risk. And guess what? You're putting our health workers at risk because as you multiply this virus, as you spread this virus, guess what's going to happen to our health workers? They're going to get tired. They're going to get fatigued. Their immune system will will lower itself. And guess what's going to happen to some of them? Some of them might get sick and some of them already are. Don't be presumptuous. Stay at home. Only go out if necessary. Otherwise, you endanger yourself. You endanger the lives of so many other people because of your presumptions. If you're a preacher and you say, don't go to doctors, don't go to hospitals, God have mercy on you. Blood is in your hands if these people die. Blood is in your hands if you give them false hope and false promises. Blood is in your hands. You better repent. You better correct your teaching. You better correct what you are saying to your congregation. Because if you do not, many of your members will suffer and they will ask you many, many questions. And they will ask you, Pastor, didn't you say that we were going to be healed? Didn't you say that by the stripes of Jesus I am healed? Why am I not healed, Pastor? Let me ask you, what will you answer them? What will you answer to their families and their relatives? You will have no answers. And don't make this cup out that they don't have faith or that they are in sin. Don't do blame shifting. The blame is on you, my dear brother and my dear sisters who are teaching this. I speak in this manner because this teaching has, been, has gone long enough In the 36 years of my ministry, this teaching has plagued the church. And it is now the time for that kind of a teaching to be corrected right now because it is putting lives at stake. I speak for and on behalf of those people whom you are endangering and giving false hopes to. Stop teaching that. It's wrong doctrine. It's heresy. Now, I do not present myself as somebody over and above you. I, too, am a student of the Scripture, but I have labored diligently to study God's Word, and I pray you will do so. As a a proclaimer of the Word of God, as a prophet of God, what you need to be able to do is to divide accurately the word of truth. And if you're not doing that, you're doing a great disservice to the body of Christ. You are not being an asset to the body of Christ. Guess what you are being? You're being a liability to the body of Christ. 
You have become the very impediment, the very obstacle to the work of God. You have made the work of God, the ministry of God, even more difficult as a result of your wrong teachings. So please repent and seek the face of God. Again, based on 1 Timothy 5.23, God is not opposed to medicine and even promotes it. I ask you, brothers and sisters, pray for our doctors. If the young doctors will get sick, they will be quarantined for 14 days. Hopefully, they recover. If the young doctors are no longer there, the old doctors will be called upon to volunteer and help out. You already know that they're vulnerable. They too might get sick and maybe they will not survive. And what's going to happen? Maybe you have the resident doctors. And guess what? Maybe even the interns. Maybe even the students. If it gets worse, remember, during the war time, even the farmers, even the farmers were called to war. I mean, what do farmers know about warfare? But that's the reality of this crisis. When the doctors are gone, who do you go to? Who is going to take care of us? So I want, I want you to be sympathetic. I want you to be compassionate. I want you to be able to pray for our doctors. They need our help. They need our support. Right now, they lack medical supplies. They, they lack uh, protective equipment. If you're burdened by God, help them out. And I, I'm thankful to God there are some brothers and sisters who have started to help out. They have started to donate money, started to donate equipment, started to donate uh, protective equipment for these doctors. They need it. Now is the time to participate. Now is the time to love this country. Let me just tell you, this, this is the only country we have. And if you don't love this country, guess what? You're stuck here because of the quarantine, because of the lockdown. You're stuck here. So love this country. Love your neighbors. Above all, love God. My main goal in this sermon is to prevent presumptuous actions. Doing so might present serious problems not only for us, but for our entire community, our city, and even our province. Let us act both in faith and in wisdom. Let this also be a time of self-reflection. Even as I talked about physical healing right now, I wonder what is the main thing in the mind of God. Could it be that the main thing in the mind of God right now is repentance? Could that be in the mind of God right now? And let me just tell you this. God will not stop 
this virus unless he achieves and fulfills whatever purposes he has. And could it be, those of you who are listening right now, that what God wants is genuine repentance and full surrender? And I ask those of you, those of you who are listening right now, maybe that's what you and I need to do. We need to confess our sins. Now more than ever, our sense of mortality is staring us in our faces. Now more than ever, it's just like one slip and we're there. You know, this virus has created so much paranoia, and rightly so. Because it is a virus that could be in my pulpit. It could be a virus in my iPad. It could be a virus with this microphone. There could be a virus as I hold this bottle. Where I, wherever I go, wherever I sit down, wherever I walk. And whenever I talk to some people, the virus could be right there, present. Where do you put your hope? Put your hope in God. And if it is God's will to heal you, hallelujah, praise the Lord, go and serve God. If it is God's will, however, to take you home, and you've made that commitment to Him, making Him your personal Lord and Savior, then hallelujah as well. It would mean sudden and instant glory for you. Life does not cease here and now. It continues on in the then and there. Yes, it might cease right now in our physical lives, but there is a next life. And I pray to God that you will make things right with the Lord. Let us pray. Bow your head and close your eyes, those of you on the screen. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Your word has been preached. And I know you have raised me up for such a time like this. I'm, I am deeply humbled to be used as an instrument in these treacherous times, and I do not take it lightly. I pray for your word to go out in power. I pray for your word to bring about conviction and repentance. I pray for your word to sanctify and purify. I pray for your word to save souls. Jesus, you know how powerless, how weak, how insufficient, how inadequate. You know how I am a nothing and a nobody. But I am your branch. And through me, Lord, bear fruit for your greater glory. We pray today, Lord, for those who are watching. Lord, let these words ring a bell in their minds and in their hearts. Let it change them 
and minister to them. We give you thanks and praise. Lord, we thank you also for the brothers and sisters who continue to be faithful in the matter of giving, that this work might continue, that what we do in spreading the gospel might reach homes and reach people. It's hard to believe, Lord, that you would provide for us during these times, but we trust you. If you provided for Elijah through a raven and through a widow, you could do the same for us right now. So thank you, O God. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before we end in song, I'd like to address those who are watching over a live stream. Once again, we want to spread the word. And right now, we've been given by God technology, which is a very precious gift, most especially right now, when we cannot gather physically in church. I miss you guys. I miss you. I miss every single one of you. I, I wish you were here. But God has placed us in this situation. And He has a purpose. And thankfully, with technology, we can, we can pass this on. So may, may I ask you once again, may I request you to please like this, like this video, and share it, tag as many people as possible. You can also use Messenger, by the way. You can, you can share this on your Messenger, and then you can send it to as many people as possible. Friends, you could save a life, maybe not physically, but maybe spiritually. Now is the time not to be silent. We've been too silent for too long. Now is not the time. Have mercy and compassion on people. Love them and share the gospel to them. You know, some of your friends, some of your parents, some of the people you know, some of them will not survive this. What do you do? Will you just keep silent? When they're on quarantine, remember, they will be alone by themselves. They will be left alone to die. (laughs) 
I wonder how it feels to die by yourself. I wonder how it feels when you're trying to catch breath and you want your loved ones to, to surround you so that you could just say your last words and maybe you could, your relatives, your friends could pay their last respects. This is one of the loneliest deaths that people can ever have. So I hope you're paying attention. I hope you're not wasting your time and this opportunity. God is giving us an opportunity to share the word. Now is the time to, to not think of ourselves and think of others. If you're saved, praise God for that. But what about the others? They need you to share the message. Please do so before it is too late, before it is too late. So, and even as we go through this, let us just remember, God is our mighty fortress. He will take us through this. The church will survive. And that is why we rejoice. Because even if some of us do die, the church will not die. It will live on. The work of God will continue on.